Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 30-Minute CMO Podcast. My name is Gorsha Kuchera, and I'm joined today by my friend and partner, Alex McNamara. Alex, hello. How are you? Happy summer. Happy happy summer. It's getting there. It's getting there. It, although it was like 65 degrees in Portland yesterday, so I hope it's going to be summer soon. I am in How a, are you? You're, you're somewhere very hot right now. I'm in Arizona. It's 110 degrees outside, which is 40 degrees Celsius, and it is Jeez. insane. But it's dry heat. That I'm is managing. too many degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of beers. <laughs> Lots of beers. They help bring the temperature down. <laughs> uh, listen, I'm, uh, I'm excited for today uh, because on today's show, we sort of continue our global advertising theme uh, by focusing on Great Britain. Um, obviously, the market that we talk a lot, a lot about, but we've never had someone um joining us from the uk to talk about the the advertising market there um as we all know uh the uk is an advertising mecca of sorts with some of the most iconic ads being made for globally recognized brands the uk is a hub of creativity that is unique to the world of advertising because it focuses not just on the domestic market but from my experience on uh, it also serves large parts of the world um parts of Europe, as well as the Middle East, Africa, Asia. Uh, so it's a very diverse, very kind of expansive market in that in, in that sense when it comes to advertising creativity. And to discuss this, uh, joining us today is um, a, a friend of the podcast and the friend of yours, Alex, um, Angus yep. McAdam. Um, Angus, you were previously the executive director of, uh, executive creative director of Denso McGarry Bowen. And uh, now you're the chief creative officer of Those Creative, which is a re uh, creative recruitment consultancy that you've started. So we want to welcome you to the show and thank you for making the time to join us. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, no, um, it's nice to be here and um, looking forward to the chat. It's good. Yeah, thanks for joining us. This is, this is great. We've been, we've been trying to find a way to get a UK perspective on all of the things that we talk about. Uh, so we're looking forward to, to having this chat. Uh, so... I want to kick off because you were ECD at, at McGarry's in, in London. And now you've kind of you've kind of taken a pivot and gone in a parallel way and so be a chief creative officer at those creatives, which is the your new creative uh, recruiting consultancy. Um, so talk us through what that is now, because it, it's not often you get someone who has spent, you know, the, the years you have and has gained the experience that you have. Um, you know, working your way through through being a creative to managing creatives um, and having that experience for, you know, placing creatives now? Yeah, I mean, I had a I had a 21 year career as a creative in advertising. And uh, most of that time I was with a partner, my partner, Paul Jordan. We went through um, agencies, Leo Burnett, Abbott Mead Vickers. We were CDs at Widen Kennedy for four years. And then we ended up ECDs at, uh, yeah, McGarry Bowen, which is now called Densi McGarry Bowen. In that time, you know, I'd relied at times on recruiters to help me find jobs. And as an ECD, I was an ECD there uh, for nine years. I relied on a recruiter sometimes to help me find good people. And I just, you know, especially as an ECD, I, I realized how important it is to, to, to get the right people in on the right on the right briefs and you know I loved being around the work but I also loved building a team for nine years as, as an ECD I was like trying to hire people into McGarry Bowen and you know always trying to you know 
higher, you know, above our above our station. We we knew what the best people looked like. It wasn't always easy to get those people in. So it wasn't like being at when, when I was at Widener Kennedy. It was an entirely different game. Um, people just were throwing themselves at the agency trying to get in. And with Gary Bowen, you know, it was a bit more of a game. So we had to try and you know spot emerging talents and convince them to come to an agency that we were trying to to build at the time. And and I just really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the process of of hiring hiring people and spotting talent. And um, I also noticed that the more I relied on you know recruiters, sometimes I didn't always feel that the recruiters were, 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 were trusted partners always in my, on, on my side, <laughs> you know, when you need to rely on recruiters, which wasn't always, but when you do need them, you need them to sort of like have your best interests at heart. So, and I had a couple of bad experiences where, you know, established recruitment people would um, just weren't really like, you know, didn't feel like they were helping me to build my department. Yeah. They were taking people from my, my department at the same time as putting people <laughs> in there. You know, and, I, and <laughs> that was a, a penny drop moment for me. Um, not only, you know, I, I think not only is it easier to understand the briefs and the types of creatives that you need for them if you've done the job, um, you also need, you need trusted partners. That's what I'm trying to do, really. I'm trying to um, create something small where I can operate as a trusted partner to a handful of uh, companies um, not all agencies, some direct, directly with brands, and be a long-term trusted partner where I can really help people to build those those departments. So it hasn't been going um, long, but it's but it's but it's going well, and uh, I think people are responding to that. I think you know, being a creative who is a creative recruiter is ridiculously unusual, and every creative I speak to responds well to it, and every agency or brand that I talk to responds well to it everyone everyone's just sort of like why, why doesn't that why aren't people doing that already yeah um, yeah it's, it's a funny one and you know like i said i haven't been doing it long i i miss being around the work a little bit but i'm, I'm really enjoying the, the the side of the business that i'm focusing on which is you know reaching out talking to some really talented people i'm trying to talk to the better you know, to, 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 to the best creators I can, you know, and be at the quality end of the market. Because mm-hmm. a lot of recruitment is about availability. You know, a lot of recruiters is just about a numbers game. They've got to take on all sorts of people because, you know, it is about timing. Are people available? And when someone has a brief, you want to have a creative that's available for that brief. I'm not in that game. I'm more in a sort of like, you know, trying to help people really really tune into the, the companies I work with and understand their culture and their needs and find the perfect people for them. So that's what I'm doing now. That's, um, that's very interesting. And I, as a follow-up question to, to this, um, you mentioned um, finding emerging talent. And um, I know that sometimes uh, that talent may actually not be in the workforce just yet. And I wanted to ask you kind of uh, questions a little bit around um, the differences uh, in the recruitment in the UK versus the US, because I feel like in the UK, from my experience, there is a very strong uh, foundation for actually um, kind of apprenticeships and internships um, and partnerships between agencies and uh, maybe um, design universities or design colleges. I know that um, an agency I used to work at Ogilvy had a partnership with Ravensbourne College uh, over in Greenwich. And um, that meant there was sort of a path, a two-way path that was established between kind of a mentorship and then matriculation into the agency 
Um, and that was a way to spot talent, nurture that talent, and ultimately bring that talent into the fold. Whereas I feel like in the U.S., it's um, it's a little bit it's done a little bit differently. It's kind of more of a traditional approach to uh, to the job market. You know, you go to a portfolio, like you go to university, you go to a portfolio school, you kind of build that up, and then you know go and start knocking on agency doors and try to get in. Um, so can you speak a little bit about that maybe kind of historical foundation that may exist in the UK, if I'm, if I'm right to assume that there is one um, and how that's currently manifesting itself? Yeah, there was the, the, the courses that exist in the UK um, have always provide, provided a good stream of talent going into the business. When I was out um, with my portfolio, it was all about the Watford course. There was a very famous, there is a very famous course in Watford that people still do, and it had close ties to some really good agencies. I didn't do the Watford course. Weirdly, I didn't do any course, to be honest, and neither did my partner. And I think ultimately it helped us to develop a, 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 a unique style to our advertising. Mm. But actually, those courses are very good at getting people up to speed, connected with creatives and agencies, getting them into the building. You know, being around the work and the creatives that they're, you know, the places they're trying to get into, it's a really good system. You know, and since then, it's not just about the Watford course. There's, 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 there's more courses here now. It just feels like there's, there's a lot more springing up, um, around. around. And, and it, you're right, it is a kind of a two-way, two-way street. The, the courses need, the agencies, the agencies need the courses. You know, because I think that, you know, now more than ever, people are relying on having sort of a lot of like younger talent in. In the agencies i don't know if that's different in america because you know there's there's just bigger budgets and there's more money in, involved the big agencies don't need that that young cheap talent as i understand it some of the differences that american agencies need to just hit the ground running and have people that are that, that, that know what they're doing you know the the skills are more polished and um yeah i, I i'm not 100 sure I'm not 100% sure what the uh, the college situation and how and how it works in America, but in the in London and in the UK, yeah, there's a there's a there's a great a great scene. You know, the courses are thriving at the moment. Yeah, I think in the US you've got the Miami Ad School, which is like the the big that's one, right, and yeah. that's the one that that gets connected to people. But I don't know how much that is really good for people. In you know, it feels like it's something that you can buy your way through. And then that kind of like buys you an, an, an access to an agency or something. I'm not, I, I mean, I'm not a creative, so I haven't done it, but from what I've seen, um, it's, you know, you, you're not necessarily getting the best people. You may have the people with access to be able to attend, attend it. Um, what, when I wouldn't just go back to some of something you said earlier, um, when you're looking to find the, the right people um, for the right briefs, what are you what are you looking for in that um you know when you're when when you're trying to find the right teams to work or trying to place the right teams within a within an agency for a client uh i think it's just you know teams come in all shapes and sizes and you know and when you talk about agencies you've got to have the right fit um certain clients go to certain agencies for certain types of work and you've got to have a certain type of creative there to deliver that work for example we had you know we'd um paul and i spotted a team that we that we that we love the look of dave wigglesworth and ed redgrave oh, yeah. dave and ed were you there oh yeah like, they were they came excellent. in they were excellent and they were excellent but they were the wrong 
they our agency was the wrong place for them right yeah um they came in the work they did was was kind of like you know it's sort of unhinged and crazy but you knew that they they, they it was great the writing was great mm-hmm. um they stayed with us for a while didn't get as much work out as they could have done but they went to droga five in london and they are now one of the i'd say one of the best teams you know in the country you know and doing that they, they just it just it just sort of unlocked their unlocked their talent and um that's sort of that's what i mean it's like you know sometimes you 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 can just be in the wrong place sometimes you can be in the right place so you've got to spot that now you don't want to try and ever you know I, we, we always said you've just got to hire the best possible people you can but sometimes you know you've got to you've got to look at the culture of the of an agency and make sure that the creatives fit that culture um because people can become very unhappy if they're not making work and that's that's ultimately what creators want to do wherever they go right? yeah. they just want to they just want to make stuff so um yeah so we're very you know we have we, we didn't have anything to do with david and Ed's success but like um <laughs> I, I, I watch it with amazement they're just uh, they're just absolutely flying and um good luck to them it's 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 interesting given the euro started yesterday it, it kind of feels like uh football in a way you have sort of the the technical director and the and the and the team manager uh who are sort of the the ecds and the the view of the agency and if the they can be the best footballer or the best creative but they don't fit the system they're not they're not going to produce the, the best that they can another agency may have a different way of 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 using them that can really get unlock their potential and you're kind of like when you're talking about um recruiters trying to place people it, it just sounds like football agents just trying to trying to put their clients in different in different teams just to, to cash in uh whereas you're more like an ex-football player who understands what each of the technical directors are looking for and trying to place the right people in the right in the right team so that you can get the best out of their work well they can get the best out of their work and you understand the systems in place to make sure that the the creatives that you're 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 putting out there are going to be the best for the job yeah i i don't want to talk down the recruiters but like it's got to help right if you've been the creative it's got to help if you've if you've been if you've been producing the work you yeah know? and it's like just understanding the briefs like when someone gives you a particular brief whether it's for a freelance gig or whether it's a brief for a full-time hire um, to look after a certain type of client. Like, you know what goes into the, the, the work, the actual day-to-day work. And I'm sure that's going to, that's, that, that's got to help me to understand yeah. the right people. And uh, yeah, yeah, totally. I think it's like, like you say, I don't know if you talked about a football analogy. It is like building a little, squad it's like building a team and every team's got to have certain you know you've got got to balance it and you've got to have you know when i started it was hugely hugely competitive there was more money around and i started in an agency with like 22 teams and everyone there's like four teams on every brief and it was competitive you had to sort of outdo the others the other teams to, to to get your work made now there's not enough money around it in UK advertising to do that. So you have to sort of like, you know, work together as a group to produce that work. You know, you can't be selfish. Like, like, like it used to be a very selfish competitive game. Now, you know, the, the, the group has to work together to, 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 to gather a pitch, do you know what I mean? In a short amount of time, that's, 
that's amazing. If you can't do that, you're not going to you're not going to not going to win any new business or, or produce any great work. So it has changed quite a bit. It has it has changed quite a bit. And understanding those squads, understanding the team is 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 becoming more and more important. I think. Where do you see you the the in in the sorry? You remember like some of those. Yeah moments when we were working late and weekends and pitching it was it's insane you know yeah. and it's getting worse you know you know that alex it's getting worse oh, yeah. especially over here. i mean i remember like... i remember sitting there at five in the morning uh getting the final runouts of the different routes and then i think i went home i changed my shirt i got on a train to go meet paul and he was furious <laughs> he was furious that we had worked until I think me and you were in the office until five 30 in the morning. And then I met him at the client at eight 30 and he was furious that we had to do that. So yeah, it's a, uh, it was a, it was yeah. a I mean, crazy like, couple of times we did that. Yeah. I did that. I did that a lot. And I, I mean, and it's, I think it broke me. I mean, after 22 years of working like that, um, I think the expression is I'm trying to redesign my life a little bit and, um, and, and avoid those, you know, eleven-hour days and weekends. That's why part part of what I'm doing, what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm doing. Um, but that that was normal. That's yeah. normal. Doing that is, and I keep saying that having the right creatives on the right briefs is so so important to avoid those late nights. Everyone's in the UK is doing a lot of soul searching, soul searching about um, the hours that we that we, that we work and the conditions and how. We totally rinse the creatives. Um, that's uh, uh, something that we've got to look at. I forgot what I was talking about. Now. Yeah, I mean, what, what I, no, I think I think it's. <laughs> I know. I think it's a, it's it's the hours that we work because because it comes from from the top, both like internally at the agency side and at the client side, where you know we allow it to happen because it's so competitive, especially in the UK. It's so competitive that. And, and the budgets aren't big like the US where if you lose a brief, that's, you know, could be detrimental to, to the agency, you know, quite significantly. So, you know, the, yeah. the product is strategy and creative. And once you've got the strategy, it's all down to a very subjective um, output, which is like, can we make it better? There's no end. So you can keep going and keep going, keep going, but the marginal gains you get at the end are fractional, and, you know, yeah. you can do those 11, 12, 15 hour days for weeks because you were trying to make something, you're trying to achieve something that is not necessarily achievable. And it, it comes down to like, when does the agency management say, stop it? This is, this is as far as we're going to get, because if we don't, we're going to burn this team out. Uh, and I think like that yeah. comes and then you know, that's, that's the agency. And that's, that's the competitive nature of especially London advertising where you've got yeah. so many good agencies and people trying to produce compete for the same work yeah everyone's trying to push it and push it and go, you know do do another round of work another round of work but like that that there's there's less of that now you know what i was what i was getting at earlier is that there's a lot of soul searching going on about the about the hours that are going on um but the truth is that you you now don't have much fat in in the process right you have to yeah. have good ideas in the first review, right? So if you don't, if you're doing a pitch and in that first review, you don't have great ideas to talk about, then you're playing catch up and you'll do work until midnight. Do you know what I mean? And it's, it's that important. The, 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 the process is that sort of like lean now that 
you know, if you if you don't have crack good work in the first review, you got to do, you got to play catch up and do those hours. It's, it's it's horrible. So that's part of why I think what I'm doing is so important. Having good creatives on your brief is is you know you need it. Otherwise, everyone's going to be there till midnight. Everyone's going to be there till one in the morning. That's what yeah. that's what happens. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. That makes that makes sense. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, sort of staying along with the theme of uh, creativity, but now focusing a little bit more on the actual advertising. I mean, we've talked about talent yeah. quite a bit. Um, and I, what we wanted to do here is sort of just get your sense or your perspective on comparing American American advertising a little bit to kind of the you know the the English um, uh, approach. So, American advertising, kind of in our view, if you if you were to distill it, is usually sort of very hero or slapstick. Um, in England, um, it you know, the theme is very often the underdog theme. Um, what's your experience working with U.S. agencies and the difference in creative styles um, and the agency cre or creative development that, you, that you've that you noticed, um, how they approach, you know, taking on the work and producing the output? Well, there's what's required and sort of like the, the, the sort of like tone of voice. I think the two things are quite different. The what's required, it seems like to me, when I've worked with American agencies, they want um, they want to be a lot more thorough about coming up with an idea and and then, and then seeing how it works through every channel. Like that that that's what I that I've found. Mm -hmm. um, the work is the work needs to be a bit, a bit more polished. You know, you don't you can't sort of like just have some rough scamps. You need to show what people what it looks like. So the art direction is really important, even in reviews. But it's it's everything needs to be a bit more sort of buttoned down. In in the UK. I think they're just trying to, I don't know, they're, they're just not as uh, drilled as that. Mm. So we will push things through every channel and go, you know, work, work, work out how it fits in every, every media, but not always in the, not always in the early reviews. Um, in terms of tone of voice. Yeah. I think that maybe it's is a reflection of the sort of like the, the humor of, you know, you, you, you mentioned, I always talk about, I always talk about this this interview I saw with Stephen Fry, where he was talking about the difference between American humor and English humor, and he and he recounts the story of um, you know the film Animal House, where yeah. yep. John Belushi mm -hmm. steps over the um, folk singer on the stairs. You know, he says that you know in America the, like you know the heroes are always like got the wisecracks and they sort of like they're, they're above everybody else, um, so takes the takes the guitar and he smashes it up you know um that's what that's what the american comedians want to be they want to be john belushi whereas stephen fry was saying the uk comedians want to be the folk singer who had his his, his guitar taken off him and smashed up Do you know what i mean it's like they try, try and mm -hmm. sort of like they, they don't take themselves quite so seriously and um i think i think that's true i think a lot of english creators british creators are kind of like Sort of trying to take the piss a little bit and sort of like I don't know where that's what, what where they think they can get their edge, but um, you know it doesn't always work. The state of the UK advertising scene at the moment is there's 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 less of that sort of edgy work. Everyone's mm. a lot more he's playing it a lot more safe, so there's less of an outlet for that kind of that kind of work now, which I think is a real shame. Um, but there's definitely there is definitely that a, a difference between. You know the, the the way that the, the, those the, the, the just the humor works in in i'm a massive fan of american advertising comedy writing i've got to be honest i um 
I judged DNAD um, a couple of weeks ago, and there's an amazing um, campaign in there for progressive insurance ads. I think it was called Dr. Rick. Um, just look it up. It's very, very funny, very, very insightful. I mean, I, Americans, when they get it right, do it way better than the Brits. But I think the Brits are always trying to find sort of like some funny, subversive little angle that will give them an, an advantage. And um, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know where that comes from in our psyche. I remember, I also remember, do you remember when David Blaine used to do a number of like amazing stunts? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. he had his moment about 10 years ago where he kept yeah. on doing them. And there was uh, an, an event where he did, um, he sort of like put himself in a Perspex box and hung it from a crane. And he was mm -hmm. in there for sort of like 40 days or something. Yeah. And um, I'm sure that, you know, he, that, yeah, that was revered in the States. But what I loved about Brits, when they did it on the, on, on the South Bank next to the Thames, People were just going down there and sort of, you know, after week three, they were just chucking sausages up at the uh, up, <laughs> up, up, up at the Perspex box, and someone got a remote control helicopter and hung a, you know, suspended a Big Mac and took it up to the Perspex box. People just <laughs> did, people just refused to take it seriously, and I think that's uh, there's something brilliant about that in our in our psyche. I think you definitely see that. In I think in, in the U.S., the U.S. that wouldn't happen. There would be there would be in awe of his his oh, attempt at the like, feat that he was doing. In England, we're just like. You know. yeah, two fingers up <laughs> yeah sausages um <laughs> and there's something there's something, something great about that but um yeah uh i think it used to like i say i think that the work the work that gets made these days there's a lot less risky work being made and i think that there's a lot less of that subversive thinking getting through everyone's playing it very very safe and i think uk advertising as a whole is suffering do you know what i mean like for that and no, do, yeah. do, would you say that no. people are playing it safe, uh, brands are playing it safe because of some of the kind of cultural changes that we're seeing? Like in the US, it seems that everyone is now hyper-focused on, like hyper-focused on making sure they're threading the, the right line between, um, you know, what is considered to be politically correct today versus what maybe was assumed for to be a yesterday. Uh, maybe, maybe. I just think that I don't know what's going on in, in UK UK advertising at the moment. There's, um, it just doesn't feel as confident, doesn't feel as brave. I, I'm not sure they're sort of worried about tiptoeing through the the issues like like you might be saying. But um, clients are just more risk averse, mm. and you know, I, I used you know it used to be. I mean, there's still great work getting through, but there's just so much less of it, and it's and it's a bit sad, a bit depressing, and. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's a shame. I mean, there's a bit, again, there's a lot of soul searching going on at the moment in UK advertising. There's an article we read the other day about um, the fact that we somehow have allowed creativity to be massively devalued. We've painted ourselves into a corner where where um, people don't value it. People aren't paying for it. You know, mm -hmm. cl clients don't want to pay pay for like you know a, a longer process where you go sort of like. You go to, you go longer to try to get to great work. When I was at um, Wyden and Kennedy, and this was like 2007 to 2011, that was they were on a roll. They were, you know, with their Honda work, you know, um, Lurpak, Nike. It was like they were supremely confident, and they would literally say to clients, you know, we haven't cracked it yet. Um, you know, we need another three weeks. You don't get that now. You know, I'm, I'm not sure many places could do it then, but 
you know, now, like I say, the, the, the process is so lean, you don't get a chance to go, go around, you know, to, to go around through too many rounds of work to try and push it, to try and do something great. Everyone's got to try and get it cracked in the first review. Like I say, it's, it's, it, yeah. and, that, and that doesn't always lead to the best work. I found myself working with, you know, CEOs that would say, you know, why is it, you know, why does it take so long to get to great work? And I'm like, I'd love to see it in the first review, but if it's not there, I'm not going to just point to something that's not, not great. I'm going to go again. And, and I got in trouble for that. People, you know, I think one, one CEO in particular thought I was really, really slow and, it's not just being slow. It's like, you know, just, you just want to just try and keep pushing it and try and try and get to better really. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think that's what I saw. We, we, we were doing what's, you know, rough like six weeks of creative development before you had the first client meeting or something. And when I moved to the U S it was like two weeks from brief to approval, which, you know, you, you need, you need the time. It's not like you can just plug in the formula and it outputs it, you know, with, you know, like you can do with some media. Uh, but I think also you know, with the rise of all of the different um, you know, new media channels where you've got uh, instant gratification from social, you've got programmatic out of home now, everything can be implemented so fast and so quick that it seems strange that the creative takes so long to be developed if it's just going to be on social for like two days before it has to be refreshed so the expectations of what is being put out is has changed so much because it used to be you know you've got a tv ad so you have the tv script you've got three three outdoor concepts you've got some print ads and now it's so you still need to do all of the work to get to the right idea now you have to do even more work to make sure it makes sense in all of the different formats like how does it make sense in a six second instagram vertical story and also in in tv you know, it's kind of, it, it feels like it's a parallel to when artists, musicians used to focus on writing an album uh, that yeah. kind of told the story. And now everyone yeah. is just focused on singles because of Spotify. It's the same thing. Like yeah. the idea of a campaign has also almost been like thrown out of the window. We're just focused on ads, you yeah. know, and the campaign yeah. is supposed to create the story arc that, that all of the rest of it kind of lives off of. Yeah. You have to build that idea. Otherwise you've just got a bunch of smart ads which yeah. is, you know, but yeah. um, I'm going to switch it. Speaking of smart ads, I'm going to switch this and, and talk about, I want to talk about Christmas ads. Uh, we've, we've, me and Gorsh have referenced this a few times. The U S has the ad pinnacle of the year, which is the Super Bowl. Um, everyone who had can buy a Super Bowl ad is making their ads for that in England. It's, it's Christmas. Uh, so Angus, what is the significance of, of the Christmas period when it comes to advertising? Where did it come from? What does it mean for a, an agency or a creative team to get that Christmas brief in you know May and to make that ad? Well, it's become the biggest thing in, in UK advertising, hasn't it? Really, it's our, it is like our Super Bowl. It's like we don't have the Super Bowl, and you know, it, it wasn't always the case. Like I think it started about. 10 years ago maybe 12 maybe 11 years ago i think um adam and eve did the most you know did some fantastic christmas work for john lewis and they did it consistently like three years in a row it was just this standout piece and then slowly everybody was like we need to get this attention (laughs) we need to get this attention too so brands started to invest and you know um you know, those those briefs go in early like those briefs are happening early in the year so 
for those jobs, I think they're, 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 they, they are prepared to go around a few times because they're trying yeah. to make something special. They're trying to make something really, really special. And what Adam and Eve did brilliantly, they were, they were consistent. They, they, would, they would every year come out with something that was stunning and um, uh, sold hard, really, so sold um, John Lewis. Um, and they set the standard and slowly everybody sort of piled in and now it's it's like you know it is like the Super Bowl. It's become this thing that everybody everybody's trying to win clients that they can do Christmas ads for because that becomes yeah. a shop window for the agency, mm-hmm. and that's you know that's that's become like a, a, a huge thing. Um, some of them have come a little bit sort of like formulaic. You know, the, the the joy of the early Adam and Eve stuff was that every year it was different, but every year it was brilliant. Um, Sometimes now they're getting a bit, they're getting a bit sort of formulaic, and that's uh, that's a, that's a shame. But it's still like it's still the the best advertising sort of. It's the season of you know it's when you see what agencies can really really do. They, yeah. they, that's when they, when they when they put their mind to it, and it's um it's good to see. Do you do you have a, a favorite Christmas ad that you over the years? Not really. I I, I just I remember seeing the bear and the hare, which I think yeah. was. Um, Aidan and Laurent and I, and I, you know, for Adam and Eve. And I, and I loved that because the year before it had been so different and they didn't stick with their, you know, a formula, you know, I thought yeah. that was incredibly brave. And when it came out, it was, it was beautifully done, but it was totally different from the previous year. And, and I remember feeling, feeling, oh, that, that isn't easy to do. That isn't easy to just leave behind the brilliant thing you did last year and do something completely new this year. So that one stuck in my really did stick, stick in my in my head, but um, yeah, I'd say that was my that was my favourite. I think favorites. the one that I really liked, I think it was recently, and I I can't remember who did it or, but I remember it was like six different production styles to tell the story. It was like you know hand drawn animation, it was yeah. stop motion, it was live action, and it told the story. I just really loved it, and because it was it was that was really hard to produce because you have to have so many different productions. Yeah. It's not like you just go on a shoot for yeah. a few days and it's all live action or it's all CGI yeah. or it's all stop motion. And I thought telling the story with all of those different styles felt really nice and, and it was very nostalgic. Yeah, it, 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 it was. That's Adam and Eve as well. <laughs> yeah, of course um, it is. <laughs> so, so I don't want to heap too much love onto Adam and Eve, but you know, that's, you know, that, that they are doing a lot of those consistently clever uh, christmas ads they got into a bit of a rut where they about four, three or four years in a row they just brought out like a story around a cuddly toy a character that got a bit yeah. formulaic but um you know you know you can't take anything away from them that they, they set the standard and they are still doing amazing work at work at christmas um i always keep an eye on what the, you know the ads that come out of um the christmas ads that come out of widener kennedy because they're always yeah. they're always doing something different you know, TK Maxx, they, they, they sort of like do crazy, crazy Christmas ads for TK Maxx. Um, and I love that. I love the fact that, I love the fact that, the, that they're not going for the heartstrings. You know, there's a lot of like sentimental stuff going on at Christmas. Um, yeah. But, um, but, but Widens, Widens do the, uh, do the opposite always very well. Yeah. A, a little uh, bit of the experience that I had um, while working in the UK was seeing how, big UK brands that had a global footprint or at least a multi-country, multi-region footprint would have their creative agencies think about how that 
ad and that campaign would live not just in the UK, but also in other parts of the world where they were active. So British Airways, for instance, which was the account I worked on, was always thinking about how that same creative could then be applied to uh, India, Africa, um, you know, parts of APAC. So is that, that was sort of what I referenced at the beginning, saying that it's incredibly diverse and creative market uh, because it has to think about other countries, uh, not just uh, its own place. Like in the U.S., most of the ads are made just for the U.S. How much of that thinking has kind of is being, you know, briefed in, or like the desire for that is being briefed in by the brands uh, to make it applicable to other regions? It gets briefed in, but it's a nightmare, you know, because you, you, <laughs> you, you know it starts to you know dilute the brilliance of the idea if it's got to work in you know four or five different markets, four or five different cultures. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, it becomes to start, you know, it's harder to, hard to do something really, really special. Um, I think that's why the, the the Christmas market, the Christmas ad season as a whole, you know, feels feels quite special because it's, it's, it's predominantly aimed at the UK market. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, you get like brilliant, you know, insights about, about the UK, UK market. When it goes global, you know, pan-European campaigns, global campaigns, it's harder to do the sort of like brilliant work. It just mm -hmm. is. So, um, yeah, I understand why clients would want to do it, but don't do you need, it. You need, you need <laughs> more time, you need more money because you need to have that that overall like campaign idea. And then you have to make sure it works across. But then ideally what you'd want is to build out a different campaign for each of those markets to make it relevant locally. Otherwise, you get you know the the classic Pepsi Messi combo, which has you yeah. know that has just Messi dribbling a football around with no real relevance to anything. I think <laughs> I, the one that I really remember right now is is the Lays ad for Champions League, and it's like Messi, it has Pogba, it has some other people, but it's like it has, it's got no idea. It's just them yeah. with a giant projector, and and that and that's sort of emblematic of like Pepsi and Lay's and that those global things which have to work across everything. But the yeah. and the, and the sacrifices that you make to have that is the lack of idea. But you don't have the time and the budget like we we chatted through to be able to do a bespoke campaign for each of those markets that ladder up to one one creative idea. In an yeah. ideal world, you'd be able to shoot with Messi for you know three weeks, and you'd be able to do a bespoke campaign for each. But we're not in that. It's the yeah, real world. ain't going to work like that, is it? It's not going to work like that. No. Do you um? What, what? So, do they not have the Christmas ads like in the US? Like we have them in the UK? Are they not a thing? Are they, it's not a big deal. Christmas Christmas ads like Christmas ads in the UK is not a is not a thing. You have Christmas ads, uh, but they're not. It's not like a pinnacle because there's no central focus there because of yeah. because culturally uh it's not about christmas in such it's about the holidays because you've got so many different um you know religious holidays you've got thanksgiving it's oh, yeah. and you have the the different types of your know, holiday ads for black friday you've got the thanksgiving ads for your know, family um so the super bowl is because you've got highest concentration of people watching tv at the same time yeah. that's where everyone is is focused on uh for them I'm talking about clever ads. Uh, we've talked, me and Gorsh have talked about this a lot uh, and something that I get on my, my soapbox and rant about a lot, chip shop ads or scam ads, uh, where basically it's, 
historically what that where that name has come from is an ad that's made and in order to be entered into an award it has to have run a media or it has to have been you know put out somewhere so people would go buy ad space in the chip shop to say that it, it ran or you'll buy a you know a for a tv ad you'll buy an ad slot in a at three in the morning on some obscure channel for pennies to say that it ran but um ads that get made like that and also ads that get made for by creatives for creatives or by agencies for agencies to show how clever they are what do you think is is the is the relevance to that now and how important do you think that is for a creative team or how important do you think that's for an for an agency to show you know to be able to produce those kinds of work i think i understand why people do it i don't really love it i don't really agree with it it feels like when you're in when you're a real when you're trying to get a job and you've got a portfolio we used to call it you're in portfolio land you can do anything you can do stupid stuff you can do crazy stuff you can do illegal stuff it's like but once you get in once you get into an agency the game is like you know do stuff for clients that are paying for it do something that, that, that works but i understand why it happens i think that there's almost more of a need for it now than there's ever been because most creatives are being forced to do very, very safe work. And when they do come up with a good idea, like it or not, it gets, it gets you know, watered down. It, it ends up, you know, a, sh- a shadow of what it could have been. And that is endlessly depressing and upsetting for, for most people. So um, people will start creating their own, their own work and, you know, whether it's just scam, you know, I, I totally disagree with scam ads for awards by the way it's totally yeah. but, but i think what we're talking about is just doing stuff that's a bit more people just want to get good work out the door and you know yeah. sometimes you know you work on a big client and you go i know i've got to do these campaigns for this client but what if we get this little you know cheeky little thing away on the side that'll probably be, be the most interesting thing we do all year and yeah know, you hear horror story you hear horror, horror stories of agencies going rogue and just shooting stuff on the back of other jobs that the client hasn't even asked for. I've heard about something recently that made, made, my, made my, you know, my toes curl, but I can't really talk about it. One of the most high profile brands that you, 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 you can imagine. But, um, but creators need to, to, be, to be making stuff that interests them, interest them too. So I understand why it happens. Um, yeah, they go, I always say that, you know, creative teams have always got to have a little project going on we you know we used to call them plus ones and you know yeah. always have something going on on the side because you just want to be making interesting things and sometimes those plus ones can be 10 times more interesting than the work you make that year so um i think is this is that what you're talking about little things you make yeah. on the side yeah well, well i think it's, it's i think your your idea of the plus ones we we i say we holly and charlotte did a plus one for honda which ended up winning an award but that was so tied in to the campaign yeah. idea that it it wasn't like a, uh, a an ad to be clever. It was like a really great build on a campaign that yeah. really made sense. And I'm and I'm thinking more around the ads which like made by agencies or creatives to show how clever they are in the market to other other agencies and creatives. Like the one I saw recently was uh pepsi i think and i don't know if this is real or not i should have done, i should have done more digging into this but it was pepsi had an ad which was like we you know where we ride with the best or we you know we we are you know we're with the best 
brands and there's like burger king kfc and they folded the the bag uh the takeaway bag so that the pepsi logo was visible they put a little ring around it and i was like it's really clever and it like and, the, and that and it's really clever but does it actually do anything for the client or does it actually make the brand better or does it actually resonate with normal people who aren't in advertising and and other things you know where we have print ads that get turned around you know same day and sometimes they work really well one we we really liked was the uh spec savers um and i think it was euros or world cup and it was like the ref got it really wrong and the next day they had the ad in in the in you know the front page and it was like the ref should have gone to spec savers and it was just the screenshot of the of the goal uh and then you have things like the tesco ad which was you know we would usually tell you to go buy beer from tesco but today go to your local pub and it was when the pubs reopened and go buy a pint from them and i was like that's a really nice idea but for the other 364 days you are rinsing pubs by selling deals and cheap beer so it feels very disingenuine but it's a very clever idea so you know so did you I, like it did you like it or not like it alex i liked i liked i liked the speed that it went to market but i really disliked the tone of voice that it took because it's it felt very disingenuous to how tesco actually operates if they if they were you know if they were doing partnerships with pubs if they were doing things that supported that idea um sure it makes sense but every other day they're like three liters of beer for four, you know, four pound 50 and they're in you know, a pubs can't compete with that so for me i didn't like it um it, I, because, I, because of what it meant actually one one thing i've noticed in the uk uh, was how much agencies do pro bono work uh, for different charities, uh, I think versus the United States, it's very different. And uh, it it seemed like, at least to me, that I remember Ogilvy work on Amnesty International. The work that they were doing for pro bono was actually where the creativity was allowed to flow a little bit more uh, yeah. than uh, than for paid work. Um, is there a reason why there is such a you know such a desire to do pro bono work among UK agencies? Is that to kind of produce that kind of creative that would be its sort of window shop? Yeah. Yeah, it's literally to sort of get something in the window um, mm -hmm. that other people can see how, you know, you've done some great work. And, you know, you do the pro bono work because, you know, the client understands the, the deal, which is they'll allow you to do something uh, brilliant that might not sell as hard and do something, huge, you know, hugely creative um, because you're pretty much working for free. Mm -hmm. um, and this is kind of comes back to the, you know, agencies, creatives, they need a an outlet they need to be able to sort of like do some of the work that they that that keeps them you know interested that mm -hmm. excites them uh, i think a lot of the work is now so dull and so stale and so safe that people just people would rather you know that i know people who give up their, their, their weekends their evenings just to work on stuff that you know like, like might be a bit like alex's like chip shop stuff it's like they just they just want to do stuff that's gonna fulfill them um and i think that you know that's on a that's the creatives but on the agency level that's why they do the pro bono stuff you know and every you know ogilvy does ogilvy need to you know they, they it's like ogilvy's doing it everyone's doing it everybody's doing it yeah everybody wants to do some, some of that work and like i said earlier i judged i judged dnad recently i was a bit frustrated because it got towards the bits where we were awarding yellows and they were all cause cause related mm. they were all causes there was cancer, there was periods, there was racism, 
there was um, LGBT. They were everything was there, and they're all good causes, and they're all brilliant, and they were, they were the work was fantastic. But I was a bit like, shouldn't we be giving some like you know some where's you know, the yellow work? pencil to to this over here, which is to sell stuff? I was yeah, a big yeah. fan of the um um what was it called? It was called uh the I mean I was trying to push maybe a little bit too hard on the there was an Alexa ad um, Alexa's body. Um, with Michael B. Jordan. Um, oh yeah, that was it's, really it's, good. It's, it, yeah, it's a fantastic commercial, and it's just selling. It's a commercial that's selling really, really hard. And when you put that alongside other stuff, that's you know from Milan or for um, the breasts, or it's hard to com- you know you, it doesn't it, it can't it's hard to compete. But that that Alexa body ad yeah. from Amazon. I think it might have been done by Lucky Generals in the UK. I think it was a Super Bowl spot. That's right. Was 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 flawless. It was fantastic, <laughs> but it wasn't a cause. So you know, I don't think it, you know it didn't get a yellow. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what are you going to do? It's a shame. It makes me sad. I mean, I liked your but, Dr. Um, Rick. Uh, I I the Dr. Rick ads for Progressive. I think are some of the best ads that i've seen recently every time they come on i pay attention and every time i laugh because they've just they've just really tapped into uh like the idea of you and what happens when you buy a house and i think they've just executed it brilliantly i just think there's it's just it's just a great piece of work it really it really is yeah, it, 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 everyone's got to look that up. It's just so well written and so well made. It's just brilliant. Um, yeah, that that's an example um, of like American comedy writing at its best. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. Angus, uh, last last uh, last topic, last question. Um, I want to get some advice from you. And you know, as you know, you were my mentor. You gave me some great advice. One piece of advice that you that has stuck with me is room meet. Don't be roommate, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is brilliant. Uh, I think you told me that once, and I've never forgot it. And that's basically don't uh, don't be in the room if you're not going to contribute anything. Earn the right to be in the room, and yeah. and add value. Uh, and I've always tried to do that since you told me that. Um, I I still I think there's a there's a case to be in the room to learn, uh, and that's where you're going to yeah. add value and add future value. But be in the room. Don't just be in the room checking emails and, and scrolling and not paying attention. Uh, what other pieces of advice for our marketing audiences do you do you have? Uh, whether it's like working with brand, brands, working with creatives directly in house, or um, working with agencies, or you know, how do you get the best work out? Any other any pieces of advice other than room meet? Uh, yeah, but other than don't be roommate. Um, don't be roommate. Don't it, uh, for me, all roads lead back to trust, right? It's just trust. Find people you want to work with and, you, and, and and build some trust with them. Find colleagues that you trust. Find find a boss that you trust. Find find an agency you trust. Find clients you trust. It's like all comes back to that. You know, there's 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 when there's there's no trust, it's toxic, and um, everyone's got to. Um, find partners that they that they, they they believe in and um the best work i've ever done came directly out of like everybody you know the, 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 a trusting relationship um and it's and it's you know it's the most it's the thing that leads to the best work and happy people you know if people are in a right mental health crisis at the moment because 
People are freaking out about their, their, their jobs. The work they're doing isn't fulfilling them. Um, I think that um, we, we need to turn that around some, somehow. And I think that just look at what you're doing and the partners you're working with. And if you don't trust them, get the, get the hell out um, or find ways to sort of build that, that trust. That's quite yeah. a waffly answer, but that hopefully that makes I, I love it. sense. I love it. I think, I think, I think the, the best work that we produce is when the, the client trusts the agency to deliver for them because like you were mentioning, you know, you mentioned before, you know, you're working for them to sell their product. If you can build award-winning advertising off the back of that, that's, you know, that's, that's the holy grail. But if the client doesn't trust you to produce the work, you're not gonna be able to produce good work. You're not gonna be able to have a, have that relationship. You need to have, you know, I think that's a great way to, to sum it all up is, is yeah. trust, pay for the trust, build that trust, you know, pay more for agencies that you trust because ultimately that they're going to help you succeed. Yeah, completely. And everyone knows, everyone's got that sneaky feeling that you don't, when they don't fully trust, trust someone that they're yeah. working with, whether it's a client or whether it's a colleague, you don't trust them, you know, it, it just gets, it, it just, it's, it's not going to go well. And it's kind of why I'll come do, doing what I'm doing, like back to that kind of like recruitment thing. You know, you, you want recruitment partners that you genuinely trust that aren't going to try and force somebody into your organization just because, you know, they happen to be on your books and you've given yeah. them a brief. Um, trust, trust will save us. Trust will save us all. I think that's a great, um, a great point to end on, Angus. Uh, thank you so much for jumping on and joining us today and talking about your experience and your views. We really appreciate it. Um, I think it's always a fascinating conversation for us to get into the minds of creatives to discuss the differences and similarities between different markets. And I think today we all learned a little bit more. So again, thank you very much. And uh, we wish you all the best with your new venture. Nice one. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been yeah. good, talk. Good, good to talk. Cheers.